are going to continue in our series, The Great Escape, which has been our walk through the book of Exodus. This is our 66th message, 66 weeks we've been going through this. We are in Exodus chapter number 33, right? As we entered into chapter 33, what we saw uh, last week in our message um, was the fact that God was really trying to redirect the Israelites to get them and Moses back on track headed towards the promised land. But before they were to make that journey or start that trek, what we saw was Moses set aside himself. He put himself outside of the camp that he might spend time with God. And in doing so, he was giving a picture or showing the Israelites the importance of that intimate time with God, the importance of spending time with him in our message, which was titled A Friend of God. Now, today we're going to continue in Exodus 33. We're going to pick up in verse number 12. But this morning, as we're picking up, what we're going to see is Moses is going to continue his conversation with God. He's distraught a little bit in the situation that they're in because God said that he's not going to go with him. He's going to send an angel. And so now he's going to bring his petitions to the Lord in our message this morning, which is called a change of heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for God giving us this opportunity to join uh, you this morning in your word. And God, I pray, Father, that you will be with us, Lord. Uh, speak to hearts all over the world, God, that we might receive truth from you, that, Lord, it might impact our hearts and Lord, help us to be hearers and doers of your word. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity. I know that you have spoken to me, God, as I've prayed over this message and prayed over this scripture. And God, I pray that now you'd speak through me, that the human element would be removed, and that, Lord, that the words I share would not be the ones that I would choose, but the very ones that you would choose. God, I am, I am unworthy. God, I, am, I feel un, uh, uh, unworthy to do what I get to do. But God, I pray, Father, that you will use it. Lord, use me. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to pick up to give a little bit of a review of where we were for those of you that were not with us for the first part of, of Exodus 33. What we looked at was, again, Moses interceded yet again for the people, right? He went to God to speak to them on God's behalf or on the people's behalf. And what happened was God was refocusing them, switching their conversation off of kind of getting them, uh, not talking about where they've come from or the, the issues or their failures, but he was really trying to get them focused on where it is they were going, right? Focusing on their future, not focusing on the failures of their past, right? And we looked at the, for, for us, we looked at that aspect of what it means to us is accepting, right? The fact that focusing on the positive or moving forward in our lives is really something that's wonderful for us. We, we should not spend our time. At the same time, we, we realize that focusing on the failures of our past, focusing on the negative experiences of our past is not helpful, right? That is where the devil thrives, is in the past. He does not want us to focus on the future, and God wants us to press towards that mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we also looked at the fact that one man, through Moses' testimony of how he lived his life, how that one man could impact the rest of the world. And we saw that impact there. And was he went and set the tabernacle, the temporary tabernacle, right? The, the real one's not been built, but he set his tent up as a temporary tabernacle outside of the camp. And by setting it outside of the camp, what he did was he gave a picture of the separation that should be between us and the world as people of God. And also, it was a picture there also, the fact that this understanding of the humility that would be required in order to go to that camp. Because understand, if an Israelite in the camp wanted to go 
to, to meet with God, if they were going to seek the Lord, they had to take this long walk of humility out to Moses' tent in order to do so. And they would do this in front of all of their countrymen. And this is a strong visual example of the humility that required to not only seek God, but to find God. So as we pick up in Exodus 33, 12, what we're going to see in this conversation here is Moses is a little bit, uh, he's trying to negotiate things with God because he's a little distraught in the moment. So when we pick up here in verse 12, understand the emotion of the moment. Moses is a little bit upset. He's a little bit worried here. And it says, verse 12, and Moses said unto the Lord, see, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Moses comes boldly before God, and basically God's prodding him to go forward, and he's going, hey, look, my issue is not knowing not so much with where it is we're going. I'm good with that. My issue is who's going with us, right? Who's going with us? That's his concern. Moses remembers the confrontations that he experienced with Pharaoh. He remembers going to Egypt. He remembers the confrontations with Moses, and he knows that the only reason why he's alive today is because God was with him. He remembers the promises, right? He remembers the promises that God made to him back in Exodus chapter number 3, verse 10. This is a burning bush when Moses first is approached by God, and he says this, "'Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt.'" Here's the call. Verse 12, listen to this promise. And he said, God says, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee. A token means a sign, something you can remember, hold on to, and that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God unto this mountain. So what he's saying, look, you know, once you bring them out, you're going to serve me on this mountain. Do we remember the fact last week, right, we talked about holding on to the promises of God and why that was so important. When we find ourselves derailed in our Christian walk, we need to look back on God's faithfulness in the past and at the same time hold on to God's promises. Boy, here's an example of that right here. Moses is looking back on that token, that token that God gave him back on the mountain. He says, well, you'll be serving me. Here he's standing on the same, standing at the base of the same mountain talking to God about these issues, right? The, the, what's going on in this situation is not lost on Moses. He remembers what God said as he beseeches the Lord. So let's look back also at God's promise, right, on these, to these same people being restored to the same land. God's talking about the promised land. Now we're going to be in Genesis, okay? We're going to be in Genesis. And when we get to this verse, what I want you to realize is the fact that when we see it's going to talk about thy seed. When you see that thy seed, it's talking about Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So this is the children of Israel, thy seed. So he's talking about these children, the people that Moses is leading. Genesis 28, verses 14 and 15. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt, uh, thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Just to focus on that little phrase right there. He says, in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In thy seed, through the seed, right? Through the seed that went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And now all the way through, he's saying through thy seed, guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come out of that seed. He'll come out of that same line. And the entire planet is going to be blessed by the fact that Jesus is going to offer salvation to the world through his very own life. Verse 15, Genesis 28, 15. 
And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. He says, look, until it's been accomplished, I will not leave you. God's promise, right? God's promise not only made to Moses, but made to Abraham. This is 520 years before this time. 520 years before the same thing given, right? And Moses has no doubt of why the Israelites have been successful up to this point. He knows why they've been successful. It's because God's been with them, right? It's been by the fact that the Lord's presence has been absolutely essential to their success through every step of the way. And see, (laughs) that certainly is the case for you and I. If we consider the fact that their success is based upon the fact that they walked with God, right? They walked with God. Moses stuck close to him. Without God's presence, man, we are in dire straits. Dire straits as children of God. In Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, Thou wilt show me, thou shalt, thou wilt show me the path of life. Notice this part right here. In thy presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Man, as we talked last Sunday, if we will seek God, guess what? We will find him. He promised us. Jeremiah 29, we looked at 29, 13. This week we're going to add in 12. 29, 29, verses 12 through 13. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. I will hear you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Right? And that is absolutely, certainly true. When we think back to the Israelites, when we started this study in the book of Exodus, what we saw in the very beginning was the fact that these Israelites, guess what? They were captive for 400 years. They were in the bondage of slavery. And they cried out. They cried out with their whole hearts, man. They cried out to God. And he heard them. After 400 years of silence, God responds. He hears their heartfelt plea. And in the response to that, God sends the deliverer, Moses, who he prepared in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd because he said, you know what? There's a 40-year period coming up, and you're going to need to a shepherd. So all these things in preparation, God always has a plan. And here that deliverer, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, brings this people in bondage, this picture of you and I being in bondage to sin, drawing us out of the world, a picture of Egypt, drawing us through the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing us out of that bondage. So, verse 13, now therefore, right? Moses, understand, Moses is seeking not only to commune with God, but he wants to share his heart with God. He is broken, heartbroken over this. He needs God's presence, and he knows it, and here he is, he's going to beseech God. Verse 13, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people, right? Listen to that. Listen to Moses' prayer as he prays this. Listen to what it is he's asking for, right? As he comes before the Lord, he is completely humble as he asks for three things. He asks for three things. First thing he asks for, he says, show me thy way. Show me thy way. Lord, help me to understand what you have for me. Help me to understand what you have for me. Now, this could be personally what Moses is asking for himself, but also for the sake of of the people. What do you have in store for the people, right? Moses is seeking assurances. He's seeking some kind of of confidence. He's going to the only source where you can find 
truly, a truly find assurance, which is God, right? Because guess what? That is the only source. You and I, right? We want assurances of our future. We go to the same source. We go to God because guess what? This world can offer us no assurances. It does not offer assurances. People go through life and they're fearful all the time. James 4.14 says this, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know what tomorrow offers. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's here and then it's gone. Life is uncertain, man. But God, God is certain. God is sure. God is immutable. God is unchanging. Unchanging. We can count on Him. Our faith must be in Him, right? Second, He says, let me know you. Listen to this. Let me know you. Lord, help me know you more intimately. I want to know you, right? When we think about we hear that. It, may, it reminds me. I don't know if it reminds you of this. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul, right? We look in Philippians chapter number 3. Listen to this. 3, 7, and 8. It says this, But what things were gained to me? He says, What I thought was good in the world, what I thought was, was a success in the world, those I counted lost for Christ. I gladly give up these things that I might know the Lord. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen to that. He says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge. I want to know God for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, I've lost everything. And do count them but dung. He said, it has no value to me that I may win Christ. He has the value. I want to know him. Listen to verse number 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know God's power, God's life, right? Listen to this last part. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to intimately know God. I want to know him. I want to know him. Moses, like Paul, guess what? He wants to know God more deeply, more personally, right? He's willing, literally, think about this. So both of these men are literally willing to risk their physical well-being in order to have that relationship with God. I mean, Paul, in the fact that he said, I'm, look, I'm willing to lose everything I've got. In fact, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to lose my life. Think about Moses, right? What was Moses willing to give up? Moses is literally... Making this request, boldly talking to God, the one who created him, who could literally just erase his existence, he's risking everything, right? And my question that comes to my mind is this. Do we really want to know God? We look at men that are willing to give up so much just to know God. And for us, if we want to know God, what are we willing to give up? In order to know him, what are we willing to give up? We live in a society where we've got so much. What are we willing to give up? These men are willing to sacrifice everything. What are we willing to give up? Think about it, right? Man, we have more time on our hands right now than we have in the past. We're, we're stuck in our homes because of the coronavirus. We have this, this pandemic in our country, and guess what? People are stuck at home. There's a stay-at-home order, and guess what? They've got time. They've got time. Extra time for sleep or for hobbies or, or working out. But are they giving that time up so that they might know God more intimately? Are they sacrificing some of those things that they want in order to maybe know God a little bit more intimately? How about maybe there are some friends, ungodly friends. You and I may have people in our lives that, guess what? 
they're not seeking the Lord, right? If someone is not seeking God, let me just tell you this, they will not draw you closer to God. If your heart's desire is to grow in your knowledge of the Lord, you need to be around people that that's their desire as well, because they will encourage you in that path. If they're not going that route, they will discourage you in that path. So if you are seeking God and he's going to reveal himself, you must get those things out of your life that are going to detract you. Distractions, man. Watching TV. Are we willing to give up those relationships with those folks? Are we willing to give up TV time, social media time, video games, whatever other distractions that we have in our lives? Because we have so many things. We're so busy, but so much of the time we lose sight of what's important and we don't develop that relationship with God. These men wanted to know God. They're willing to give up things in their life. And then what about this last one? What about sin? Sin. What is it in our life? Is it selfishness? Is it anger? Is it theft? Is it sexual immorality? What do we have in our life that we know is wrong? And it is creating a division between us and God. And because of that division, because of that sin, we can't know God. But let me just tell you, if we focus on that relationship, man, he can change us and give us a life that is so rich. But we look at our life. What are we willing to give up to know God? And number three, the third thing Moses prayed for, he prayed for God to accept the people back, right? To forgive them, right? That was his desire for the people to be forgiven, for them to be restored unto God, right? He's the intercessor. And he goes yet again on behalf of the people to God. His desire is to restore the people back to God. And I want to ask you this. Is that your desire? Is it our desire that the people of this world be restored back to God? He created them for a purpose that's not just to be happy. It's not to find fulfillment. It's not to get caught up in the things of the world. It's a fulfillment that's through giving glory to God through our life. It's why we exist. Do we have a desire that this world might know him? Man, in Moses' case, we think about their behavior of these Israelites. We think about the things that they have done. And we might probably say, look, they don't deserve to be restored to God. Well, the problem is, guess what? We might in our lifetime If we're not careful, looking at our world around us, we might say the very same thing. Guess what? They don't deserve to be restored unto God. Have you seen the way they live? Have you seen the world around us? Have you seen what they do? Have you seen the way this world disrespects and defies God every day? Blasphemes God. Stands in defiance of God. And we might think, man, they don't deserve it. And the reason why I said we better be careful is because if that's the way we sound, maybe we don't say it, but maybe we think it. And you know what that sounds like? That sounds like a judge. That sounds like a judge. And guess what? That's not our place. Who are we to judge anybody? Look at this. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. Speaking of you and I. And you hath he quickened. Quickened means be brought to life through the Spirit of God. We brought to life. We've been born again. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were caught up in the world. Verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. Right? According to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's talking about the devil, man. We walked according to the way the world walked. We let the, the, the devil influence us. We live for sin, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What we see in the world around us, the people that we're judging, what we see in their lives, guess what? That was us. 
Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Remember how we used to be led of our flesh. We made fleshly decisions. We did things that were carnal, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is where we were. This is who we were. We're just simply looking at to, to, to grab life for all his gusto and live it for ourselves. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He says, man, do you not recognize the people that we're pointing to? And we're labeling as sinners because of our Christian faith. We think we're somehow superior. Well, guess what? That's just exactly who we used to be. If not for the fact that we met the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We aren't special. We aren't better than anyone else in this world. We are what we are by the grace of God. The only separation between us and them is a meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. And that meeting right here, referencing that meeting right here, listen to this. For me, it was, uh, it was August 11, 2001. This is what happened. But God, amen, but God, who is rich in mercy, yes, he is, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Yes, he did. He loved us even though we did not deserve it. He gave mercy and he gave grace. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, when we were in the midst of our sinful lifestyle, we're in the midst of our sinful life, sinful choices, rebelling against God, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. God looked at us, and even though we didn't deserve it, he died for us, he cared for us, he reached out to us, he drew us unto him, and when we received him, God changed us, right? We need to have a heart like Moses for the people. He's burdened for them. He's seen their failure, but he's burdened for them. And you know what? One of our missionaries by the name of Randy Stirewalt, we've been praying for Randy. They've been on our prayer list since almost the very, very beginning, one of the very first missionaries that we took on. And Brother Randy lost his battle with cancer on the 23rd on Thursday. And, uh, and man, I tell you what, heartbreaking, heartbreaking for his family. But you know what? I praise God that that was the kind of heart that Brother Randy had. Brother Randy had a heart for people. He had a heart for the lost. For 43 years of his life, a little kid who was on a bus who came from an unsaved family got on a bus, got saved, and God burdened his heart as a young man to go to Kenya, Africa. And he went there not knowing anyone, and he poured his heart into those people. He loved them. He had a heart like Moses. And over 43 years of his life, tens of thousands of people were saved in that country. Tens of thousands. He and his wife, Phyllis, through their ministry, man, over 466 churches were planted in three different, three different countries. Bible colleges, pastors were, I mean, unbelievable influence on that, on that culture and on that society because of the heart of people. Their heart, man. What is our heart like? Do we care for the people? Verse 14, God responds to Moses. And he said... My presence shall go with thee. I will give thee rest. Hot diggity dog. Look at that, man. Look at that. Man, look at how that. God changed his mind. Moses was able to convince the Lord to change his mind. What do you think? No. No, think about this. The fact that God already knows what he's going to do. God's already seen everything. God already knows the beginning and the end, right? He's the whole, the whole story. So God's not changed his mind here. What in fact is happening is he's preparing Moses for the challenges that lie ahead for them. He's trying to focus Moses on the fact that, guess what? He needs to be dependent upon the Lord, and the people must be dependent upon him 
as well. Moses is learning in this instance that God is the key to their success, right? He's the key to their success. You see, the people lost sight of that when they were having their their calf party, right? And they were partying it up and having fun, whatever. God and Moses were busy up on the mountain. But when they came, when they came back down, boy, they had a new, they had a change of heart, man. They had a change of heart. They realized the importance of God being in their life when they recognized the circumstances of their situation. And in the current state of mind, right? Once God came back, they now know they need him. But they're stiff-necked, man. They're prone to wander. Well, guess what? You and I, these Israelites are a picture of the individual believer, and they are stiff-necked just like you and I, and we're prone to wander, right? So unfortunately, even though right now they know they need God, it will not stay that way. And then look at this at the very end of verse 14. He said, I will give you rest. And I want you to focus on that word, rest. We see the Lord repeat the same phrase in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, I come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest, right? We find ourselves weighed down by the cares of this world, which absolutely happens on a regular basis for many of us, right? He's simply saying that when we feel this weight upon us, that we can bring those cares to him, and guess what he will do? He'll carry them, carry them for us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I want you to notice that it says you, individually. He's speaking to us individually, saying, look, when you feel the weight of the world upon your shoulders and you feel as if you're going to collapse, just hand me the weight. Take the load of this burden off of yourself and hand it to me. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We become like Christ when we bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. We're picturing this scripture when we bear the burdens with them, when we pray for our brothers and sisters, when we meet a need. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Listen to that. When you take the yoke upon me, now focus. Now what happens is now you're going to take on the responsibility of living for me. Learn of me. Learn of me. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You'll find rest. So many people that don't know God, guess what? They live in constant unrest, constant unrest. They're never satisfied. They're never content. You know why that is? Because their dissatisfaction, their discontentedness, it's all linked to the fact that, guess what? Life is filled with unanswered questions. We all struggle with them. When we're young, as we grow up, right? Where did I come from? Why Why am I here? Where, where do I go after I die, right? These big questions, the monstrous questions, the ones that have driven people to the stars and everywhere else to use science to try to track and find the answers to these big questions, the biggest questions, those unanswerable questions as far as the world's concerned. But guess what? All of the answers, every one of those answers, they're all found in God's Word. They're written right down for us. We just have to be willing to look. 1 Corinthians 2 Verses 13 through 16 says this, Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Look, what we're teaching, Paul says, we're not teaching you what we know, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Okay? Talking about in the Scriptures, he says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The point of this, the reason why, is the fact that God is saying, look, I'm going to use my Scriptures to help you to know more about the Scriptures, using the Bible to define the Bible, right? If we're ever going to learn, 
right? About God's word, about God, we're going to do it through his word and through his spirit that will guide us. Verse 14, but the natural man deceiveth not, receiveth not the things of the, of the spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. When it says the natural man, and you see that natural man, what that means is someone who has not had an, uh, an interaction with Jesus Christ. They've never received the Lord. So they are the same man they were born. They are still that person. They've not been born again. They are a natural man. They do not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. And then it says in that verse, for they are foolishness unto him. So when he tries to read the Bible, it does not make any sense to him. It appears to be foolishness. And then it says, neither can he know them. It's impossible for him to understand the deep things of God because they are spiritually discerned. So if what happens, the Holy Spirit of God, once we get saved, moves inside of us. That Holy Spirit of God helps us to understand the Word and directs us through the Word. So if you're absent of the Spirit, you don't have the guide, you don't have the discernment, you don't have the ability. It is impossible for you to understand the Word of God. It is absolutely key. If we are going to understand God's word, we must know God personally. And see, what we have is in this world today, and you can find plenty of examples of this, go online and search commentaries on scripture and things of that nature. And what you'll find is you're going to have a lot of people out there that know about God. They know all about God. Bible scholars, professors, right? They can write books about the chronicled history and about the languages and all of this deep stuff, right? And they have this great knowledge about God. But all those questions, where did I come from? What's my purpose? Where will I go after I die? They still don't have the answers to those questions because guess what? They know about God, but they don't know God. They don't realize that he is the answer. They've made him a a scholastic pursuit instead of a personal relationship. These are there now to give you an example. There are folks out there that, man, you may have a, a sports hero, somebody that you absolutely love. You have studied them and followed them, and you know every fact, every figure about them. You know their career, you know their favorite food, you know what their workout routine is, you know where, where they live, you know all about their family, you know everything about them, you know all the details. But you're their biggest fan, but you don't know them, you know about them. Like, I might know a ton about Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan does not see me on the street and go, hey, what's up, Dave? Doesn't work that way. He doesn't call me up when he's got a problem and say, man, I need to unload. We don't know each other, but I know about him. And unfortunately, that's a lot of religious people in the world. That's the relationship they have with God. They know all about him, but they don't know him. There's a huge difference on what it means to know him. Knowing about him or knowing him, right? God wants us to know him. That's his desire for us. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15 says, but he that is spiritual judges all things, and yet he himself is judged of no man. So through knowledge, through knowing God, as we're going back to this learning the scriptures, knowing God, right, we get a heavenly perspective. We start to see things the way God sees them. We get an understanding of what our place is in the universe. We get a perspective, not an earthly perspective, which is what we're born with, but a heavenly perspective because we've received Christ, and through the word, God instructs us of who he is and also who we are. And one of the things we'll see is that we are not a judge. There is only one judge. Verse 16 says this, First Corinthians 2.15 says this, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We think the way he thinks. That means that I love what he loves and I hate what he hates, right? We know God. 
And when we truly know Him, man, those big answers, those, the answers to those questions that are so massive that the world has searched for for decades, for, for millennia, guess what? They become crystal clear as we're able to see them clearly in the Scriptures. Back in Matthew 11.30, as Jesus was talking about giving that rest, He said in verse 34, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Through a close relationship with the Lord, man, we can experience life the way that God intends it to be. He can walk with us, man. We can find rest. Because guess what? This life is not supposed to be full of strife and full of fear. It's about walking in fellowship with the good shepherd, man. He loves us. And he has a a beautiful relationship and a beautiful future for us if we can walk with him. Now, what that means is there's, there's there's an aspect of rest, right, that we don't understand from an earthly perspective. But from a heavenly perspective, we get a view of what God has intended for us. And to give us a word picture, if we were going to kind of just kind of get something that helped us really get a grasp of what that rest looked like, right? I thought about Psalm 23. I'm going to read that Psalm to you. I just want you to listen to it. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my lead. He's my guide. I shall not want. I have no needs in my life. Verse 2. Verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Man, he takes me to someplace safe and warm and comfortable. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, man. He rebuilds me. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I get to learn how to love get love God and live the way he intends for me. I can be fulfilled. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there will be hard times. There will be tough days. There will be scary things that will happen. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God's meeting my needs. He's taking care of me. He's comforting me. He's protecting me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I'm able to sit and relax right when my enemies are there. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. I've got more than I need so that I can help others. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My eternity is established. I can walk with God. I can experience that rest while I'm on earth, right? The Lord is our source of contentment, of safety, of provision. If we know him, if we're depending upon him, right? Moses knew this well, and he continues as he's speaking to God. We can hear it. He needs and wants God to be with him so badly. Listen to this in verse 15. God's already said he's going to come, but listen, as if Moses doesn't even hear it. Listen to this. And he said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Lord, if for some reason you're not going to go with us, (laughs) we don't want to go. We'd We'd rather not take the trip, okay? His attitude basically is saying this, you know what, if if you're not there, then I don't want to be there. That's the attitude you and I should have every day, right? If I'm going to go out into this world, I should have the attitude that if I'm not going to be walking close with God, man, I don't even want to face this day. But so many of us, we're so self-assured, we're so full of self, we've gotten face the things of this world, and we don't even consider the Lord. We don't take time to ask God for guidance. We don't take time to ask for his support. We don't ask for him to forgive us of our sins. Many of us just kind of go through our lives and we forget about God altogether until we find ourselves in a tough spot. Find ourselves in need and all of a sudden we want to rub the magic lamp and have the genie pop out and save us in the midst of our troubles. You see, our success or our failure is determined by how closely we walk with God. That does not mean that when we walk with God, we won't have failure. What I want you to understand is what this means is that no matter what life throws at me, 
And you, if we're walking with God, if it's good or if it's bad, does not matter because God can use it for our good and for His glory. Romans 8, verses 28 and 29 says this, And we know that all things work together for good. Notice it said all things work together for good to them that love God, right? This is children of God. These are born-again children of God that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose, okay? We hear that phrase, called according to His purpose. What is their purpose? What is their purpose? Let's look in verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, meaning this, God foreknew who was going to get saved because he's already seen our entire life. He did not choose me for salvation, but he saw when I got saved. He could see it in the future. I made the choice. He saw it. He also did predestinate. What this means is, it says predestinate, saying, look, he has a purpose for my life because he saw I was going to get saved. He already had a purpose in mind for my life. What is that purpose? What are we supposed to do? Next part of the verse, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, talking about Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean, the firstborn among many brethren? Well, guess what? Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the very first Son of God born upon the earth. He was the firstborn of many millions that would follow. Because guess what in Rome in John 1, verse 12, what does it say? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You and I, when we receive Christ, we become the sons of God. We're part of that family, man. He was the firstborn of many brethren. Amen. Praise God. I'm thankful I'm one of those. Just like Moses, we as children of God, guess what? We need to desire to walk in close Fellowship with God. Listen to Moses as he continues. Verse 16. For wherein shall it be known? Hear that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. He's saying, look, how is anybody going to know that we're really God's people? What's going to make us different, right? What's going to make us stand out? It's important to understand that the Lord's presence here, it's really sinking in. He's harping on this because guess what? He realizes that he's almost lost it. He realizes the fact that, you know what? What he had, that close walk with God, that closeness for the people, it almost slipped out of his fingers. And in fear, he's reacting. And that's the way he's talking, right? It's amazing how much value things gain in our lives when we almost lose them, right? I think about this. If you're a parent and you're standing in your yard playing with your child, you're laughing and having fun, and a ball rolls out in the street, and here they run out on the road. And as you run out on the road, an 18-wheeler's coming, man, full speed. And your, your child runs out, and they're right in front of it. And as they bend down to pick up the ball, the truck swerves, and they fall out of the way. And just in a, within a split second, they're almost hit, but they're not. And you run up, and you snatch them up, and you hold them, man. There's a lot of value in them in that moment. The hug you gave them before was not nearly as intense as the hug you gave them after, right? When we almost lose things, they become of greater value. And that's where Moses is right now. God, if you're not with us, how in the world are people going to know that we're different from any other people? How are they going to see it? How are we going to give you glory, Lord, if you're not with us? Moses is almost thinking out loud as the reality of almost losing God's presence really sinks in for him. And I want you to notice this as we're wrapping up. And like the loving father that he is, check this out, God reassures and then he comforts Moses, right? In this moment, this last verse, 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast, thou hast found grace 
in my sight, and I know thee by name. And I love, I love how God right here allows Moses to think that he has actually changed his mind. <laughs> he doesn't mention, he doesn't go, hey, Moses, I was already going to do this. He just lets him believe that. He lets him accept this, right? It's as if God is saying this to him, man. I'll stay with the people, but not because of them, Moses. Not because of them. It's because of you, Moses. Because you are special to me. You're special to me, Moses. You're that friend, right? And that value that you understand why it's so important that I'm close to you. If you see, it wasn't God who changed his mind. It was Moses who changed in that time. He understood the value of God's presence. He realized so deeply, right, that God already knew the outcome. But like the amazing teacher, and this is so cool. If you notice when you go back and you read this, God doesn't say a lot. Moses says a lot. And like a good teacher, guess what God does? He just does a lot of listening. He listens, and he listens to Moses, convincing himself of how important it is that God be with them. Isn't that cool how God allows him to learn and even convincing himself of why it is so important? So as we've recently seen this Moses solidify his love for the people, understanding the fact that he is going to be their shepherd as he risks himself as their, as their, as their intercessor, now we see him solidify his dependence upon the presence of the Lord. Right? He's solidified on the importance of God being with them. He has no doubt. So the friend of God, right? Boy, he realized how incredibly valuable this closeness to God is. But I want to ask you a question. How about us? How about us? Some people are happy just being Christian by title, but their life does not reflect the difference. They're not seeking the Lord on a day-to-day basis. They are not like Moses, right? If we're like Moses... That means that we want, we want to know God's ways, right? That was his prayer. Can I know God's ways? Are you and I seeking God's ways? Do we want to understand how God works in our life? Do we want to understand him more deeply in the way that he functions and what his, his design is for us, right? Do we want to know him more intimately? That was what Moses asked for. Then I may know you. Do we want to go know God more personally? Is that the desire of our heart? Are we seeking God? Because guess what? If we seek him, what did he tell us? We'd find him, right? But the problem is many people are not seeking. They go, I'm good. I'm happy with the way things are. Man, if you're content with where you are in your walk with God, there is a problem. You should never be content in your walk with God. We should always be pressing towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, striving to be more Christ-like. If you believe you have arrived, that means you are at the very lowest point you could possibly be because that sense of pride that you feel is the thing that's going to divide you from Him. Humility before God is what allows us to grow. We've got to be humble, man. We've got to every day search our hearts and say, Lord, help me know you. Help me know you. And then lastly, what did he ask? He asked for God, that he had a burden for the people, that they would be restored to God, right? And if these were the questions that we asked ourselves, do we want to know God's ways? Do we want to know God? And are we burdened for the lost of this world? Are we? Are we brokenhearted over the fact that there are people outside of these doors that are lost, that are confused, that are fearful, that things like this, when it comes through the world, that the whole planet is filled with people that are in a crisis? And that they're looking for answers, they're looking for the Lord, but guess what? They can't find Him because it says, how shall they heal unless they have a preacher, man? Somebody's willing to talk. And we have Christians that sit back and don't say a word. We have an opportunity. You've got the internet, man. You can put something on Facebook that gives God honor and glory instead of sending pictures of food or whatever else you're going to send out. What if God received some glory through your life, man? What if we reached out and made a difference because we care about people outside of these doors? 
I mean, if that's you, and that's, the answer is yes, and you say, you know what? Yes, I'm burdened. I want to know God. I want to, I want to see these things. I want to see the Lord restored. Well, if the answer is yes, man, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? What are we doing every day to challenge ourselves to make a difference in the world? You know, and if the answer is no, guess what? It's time. It's time for a change of heart. You and I have got to be willing to grow. We've got to be willing to change and realize that this life is not about us. And if you feel the way you feel because you don't know the Lord, well, good news is you can know him because he's reaching out to you as we speak. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today and God for our message, Father, a change of heart. And Lord, uh, we saw it in Moses. And Lord, I do pray for us, God, if we're not Surrender to you, Lord, if we're not burdened to know you, if we don't want to know your ways, if we're not burdened for the lost of this world, God, please give us a change of heart. But if there be that one that's out there today and they say, you know what, I, I don't know because I don't know anything about God. That was my story. 18 years ago, I didn't know a thing about God. I knew nothing about him. I had no relationship with him whatsoever. No religious background, no understanding. And you know what? I think that was a good thing because religion blinds many people to the truth. All I had to understand was that, you know what? On my own, I was in trouble. I knew I'd done things wrong. And you know what? Every single person, the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. If you're out there today and you say, you know what? I do not know the Lord. I don't have a relationship with God. Guess what? You can because he loves you right where you are. For by grace are you saved through faith and then not of yourselves. It's not the person you are. It's not of works. It's not the things you're going to do. It's not your religion. It's not your family association. It's none of those things. God loves you right where you are, and he knows you by name, just like he knew Moses. And he wants you to be his child, another son or daughter of God. And right now, you can receive him as your Savior. It's not magic words. It's not a ceremony. It's simply a prayer from the heart. What I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to pray. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you can cry out to Him just like the Israelites did in Egypt and God heard their plea. He will hear your plea and He will save you right where you sit. This is recorded. It does not matter. This does not require anything between you but you and God. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's your heart that God is listening to. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me right now. Repeat this prayer with me from your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am sorry, Lord. I know that I have hurt many people in my life. I've hurt myself, but most importantly, I've hurt you. And I am so sorry. Lord, I repent. I turn from my wicked ways. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, will you please pay the price that I cannot pay? Your death on the cross was the solution. And God, I'm asking you right now by faith to save my soul, to come into my heart and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in person one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks.